Book the Fifth, Part Three of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Fifth, Part Three. While the malignant tongues had been playing havoc with Somerset's fame in the ears of Paula and her companion, the young man himself was proceeding partly by rail, partly on foot, below and amid the olive-clad hills, vineyards, carob groves, and lemon gardens of the Mediterranean shores. Arrived at San Remo, he wrote to Nice to inquire for letters, and such as had come were duly forwarded. But not one of them was from Paula. This broke down his resolution to hold off, and he hastened directly to Genoa, regretting that he had not taken this step when he first heard that she was there. Something in the very aspect of the marble halls of that city, which at any other time he would have liked to linger over, whispered to him that the bird had flown, and inquiry confirmed the fancy. Nevertheless, the architectural beauties of the palace-bordered street, looking as if mountains of marble must have been levelled to supply the materials for constructing it, detained him there two days, or, rather, a feat of resolution by which he set himself to withstand the drag chain of Paula's influence was operative for that space of time. At the end of it, he moved forward. There was no difficulty in discovering their track northwards, and feeling that he might as well return to England by the Rhine route as by any other, he followed in the course they had chosen, getting scent of them in Strasbourg, missing them at Baden by a day, and finally overtaking them at Karlsruhe which town he reached on the morning after the Par and de Stancy Parsi had taken up their quarters at the ancient inn above mentioned. When Somerset was about to get out of the train at this place, little dreaming what a meaning the word Karlsruhe would have for him in subsequent years, he was disagreeably surprised to see no other than Dare stepping out of the adjoining carriage. A new brown leather valise in one of his hands, a new umbrella in the other, and a new suit of fashionable clothes on his back, seemed to denote considerable improvement in the young man's fortunes. Somerset was so struck by the circumstance of his being on this spot that he almost missed his opportunity for alighting. Dare, meanwhile, had moved on without seeing his former employer, and Somerset resolved to take the chance that offered and let him go. There was something so mysterious in their common presence simultaneously at one place, five hundred miles from where they had last met, that he exhausted conjecture on whether Dare's errand this way could have anything to do with his own, or whether their juxtaposition a second time was the result of pure accident. Greatly as he would have liked to get this answered by a direct question to Dare himself, he did not counteract his first instinct and remained unseen. They went out in different directions, when Somerset for the first time remembered that, in learning at Baden that the party had flitted towards Karlsruhe, he had taken no care to ascertain the name of the hotel they were bound for. Karlsruhe was not a large place, and the point was immaterial, but the omission would necessitate a little inquiry. To follow Dare on the chance of his having fixed upon the same quarters was a course which did not commend itself. He resolved to get some lunch before proceeding with his business, or fortuity, of discovering the elusive lady, and drove off to a neighbouring tavern, which did not happen to be, as he hoped it might, the one chosen by those who had preceded him. Meanwhile, Dare, previously master of their plans, went straight to the house which sheltered them, and on entering under the archway from the Langerstrasse, 
was saved the trouble of inquiring for Captain Testanti by seeing him drinking bitters at a little table in the court. Had Somerset chosen this inn for his quarters instead of the one in the marketplace which he actually did choose, the three must inevitably have met here at this moment, with some possibly striking dramatic results, though what they would have been remained for ever hidden in the darkness of the unfulfilled. The Stancy jumped up from his chair and went forward to the newcomer. "'You're not long behind us, then,' he said, with laconic disquietude. "'I thought you were going straight home.' "'I was,' said Dare, "'but I've been blessed with what I may call a small competency since I saw you last. "'Of the two hundred francs you gave me, I risked fifty at the table, "'and I have multiplied them. How many times, do you think?' "'More than four hundred times.' Mustancy immediately looked grave. "'I wish you had lost them,' he said, "'with as much feeling as could be shown "'in a place where strangers were hovering near. "'Nonsense, Captain. "'I have proceeded purely on a calculation of chances, "'and my calculations proved as true as I expected, "'notwithstanding a little in-and-out luck at first. "'Witness this as the result.' "'He smacked his bag with his umbrella.' and the chink of money resounded from within. "'Just feel the weight of it.' "'It is not necessary. I take your word.' "'Shall I lend you five pounds?' "'God forbid! As if that would repay me for what you have cost me. But come, let's get out of this place to where we can talk more freely.' He put his hand through the young man's arm, and led him round the corner of the hotel towards the Schossplatz. "'These runs of luck will be your ruin, as I have told you before.' continued Captain de Stancy. You will be for repeating and repeating your experiments, and will end up by blowing your brains out as wiser heads than yours have done. I'm glad you've come away, at any rate. Why did you travel this way? Simply because I could afford it, of course. But come, Captain, something has ruffled you today. I thought you did not look in the best temper the moment I saw you. Every sip you took of your pick-up as you sat there showed me something was wrong. Tell me your worry.' I can tell you in two words, said the captain satirically. Your arrangement for my wealth and happiness, for I suppose you still claim it to be yours, has fallen through. The lady has announced today that she means to send for Somerset instantly. She's coming to a personal explanation with him. So, woe is me, and in another sense, woe to you, as I have reason to fear. Send for him, said Dare, with the stillness of complete abstraction. Then he'll come. Well, said Destancy, looking him in the face, and does it make you feel you had better be off? How about that telegram? Did he ask you to send it, or did he not? One minute, or I shall be up such a tree as nobody ever saw the like of. Then what did you come here for? burst out Destancy. Tis my belief that you are no more than a... But I won't call you names. I'll tell you quite plainly that if there is anything wrong in that message to her, which I believe there is, no, I can't believe, though I fear it. You have the chance of appearing in drab clothes at the expense of the government before the year is out, and I of being eternally disgraced. No, Captain, you won't be disgraced. I am bad to beat, I can tell you. And come the worst luck, I don't say a word. But those letters pricked in your skin would say a great deal, it strikes me. What? Would they strip me? But it is not coming to that. Look here now. I'll tell you the truth for once though you don't believe me capable of it. I did concoct that telegram and sent it, just as a practical joke. 
and many a worse one has been only laughed at by honest men and officers. I could show you a bigger joke still, a joke of jokes on the same individual. Dare, as he spoke, put his hand into his breast pocket, as if the said joke lay there. But after a moment he withdrew his hand empty, as he continued, Having invented it, I have done enough. I was going to explain it to you, but you might carry it out. But you are so serious that I will leave it alone. My second joke shall die with me. So much the better, said Testancy. I don't like your jokes, even though they are not directed against myself. They express a kind of humour which does not suit me. You may have reason to alter your mind, said Adair carelessly. Your success with your lady may depend on it. The truth is, Captain, we aristocrats must not take too high a tone. Our days as an independent division of society, which holds aloof from other sections, are past. This has been my argument, in spite of my strong Norman feelings, ever since I broached the subject of your marrying this girl, who represents both intellect and wealth, all, in fact, except the historical prestige that you represent. And we mustn't flinch at things. The case is even more pressing than ordinary cases, owing to the odd fact that the representative of the new blood who has come in our way actually lives in your own old house and owns your own old lands. The ordinary reason for such alliances is quintupled in our case. Do then just think and be reasonable before you talk tall about not liking my jokes and all that. Beggars mustn't be choosers. There's really much reason in your argument said Distancy, with a bitter laugh. And my own heart argues much the same way. But leaving me to take care of my aristocratic self, I advise your aristocratic self to slip off at once to England like any hang-gallows dog. And if Somerset is here, and you have been doing wrong in his name, and it all comes out, I'll try to save you as far as an honest man can. If you've done no wrong, of course there is no fear. I should be obliged by your going homeward as quickly as possible, as being better both for you and for me. Hello, damnation! They had reached one side of the Schlossplatz, nobody apparently being near them save a sentinel who was on duty before the palace. But, turning as he spoke, Testancy beheld a group consisting of his sister, Paula, and Mr. Power, strolling across the square towards them. It was impossible to escape their observation, and, putting a bold front upon it, Testancy advanced with Dare at his side, till in a few moments the two parties met, Paula and Charlotte recognising Dare at once as the young man who assisted at the castle. "'I have met my young photographer,' said Distancy cheerily. "'What a small world it is, as everybody truly observes. I am wishing he could take some views for us as we go on. But you have no apparatus with you, I suppose, Mr. Dare?' "'I have not, sir, I am sorry to say,' replied Dare respectfully. "'You could get some, I suppose?' asked Paula of the interesting young photographer. He had declared that it would be not impossible, whereupon Distancy said that it was only a passing thought of his, and in a few minutes the two parties again separated, going their separate ways. That was awkward, said Distancy, trembling with excitement. I would advise you to keep further off in future. Dare said thoughtfully that he would be careful, adding, She is a prize for any man indeed leaving alone the substantial possessions behind her. Now, was I too enthusiastic? Was I a fool for urging you on? Wait till success justifies the undertaking. 
In case of failure, it will have been anything but wise. It is no light matter to have a carefully preserved repose broken in upon for nothing, a repose that could never be restored. They walked down the Karl Friedrichstrasse to the Margrave's Pyramid and back to the hotel, where Dare also decided to take up his stay. The Stancy left him with the bookkeeper at the desk and went upstairs to see if the ladies had returned. End of Book the Fifth, Part Three